Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is the Mark Boris Podcast. Uh, good morning. We just did the uh, 10 minute man challenge with Adam McDougall. Um, we've got a whole lot of man shakes in front of us here and man bars, everything. And I, it was uh, Nick Boris, Nick Ford, and myself um, under the instruction of Dukes. Uh, <laughs> it was uh, pretty tough, I have to say. I, I, you, you think yourself 10 minutes is not going to be too much, but uh, it can fuck you up a bit. Um, <laughs> It's pretty tough. Uh, okay, so just before I talk about Adam, and I really want to have a good mag to Adam, um, I want to just quickly hit off on uh, interest rates because something happened this week that was quite significant. So Westpac this week put up their interest rates across the board, whether it's investment properties or owner-occupied properties, and they put it across their whole portfolio. So whether you're getting a new loan or if you've already had one for 20 years, they put up their interest rate by 0.2 of a percent. Now, I, I thought it was important for me to explain the logic to all this. Um, or the logic as it is published and, you know, the PR machine at Westpac will have you think. And I will I will pause here for one second to say that no other bank has actually put their rates up, so no one else has followed. No one will actually cover that off for a minute as well as to the reason why not, my view. Now, Westpac's excuse for putting up their interest rates by 20 basis points off the back of 27 basis points they put it up about eight weeks ago is this. Because they have to now allocate more capital to their assets, that capital, that capital becomes inefficient. And as a result of that, they can't get the same return on a mortgage as they used to be able to get. Now, now what does that mean in, in uh, layman speak? Well, this is how it works. The regulators in all the countries around the world um, decide that banks are risky to the economy because the banks or the banking system controls debt and, you know, hold your money and lend your money, basically. So you've got to have a stable financial system. So they, what they say to the banks in most countries, and particularly in Australia, is that for, against all your assets, now for a bank, an asset is, is a mortgage, is a loan. Against all your assets, we want you to allocate a little bit of cash on the side so that if something happens with that asset, in other words, all your borrowers stop paying their interest rate or stop, stop making the repayments. Or with all your borrowers, borrowers, the security you're taking goes down by 20% because there's a massive um, property crash. We want you to hold some extra assets, cash on the side, just to stabilise your balance sheet. As a result of the global financial crisis, the amount of cash that banks must now hold is much more than they used to have to hold. And 
the amount of cash they have to hold now against mortgage assets, which used to be the considered the most stable assets in a bank's balance sheet, has also increased quite a bit. You may have noticed yesterday that the Prime Minister said he's going to adopt the Murray Report recommendations, or 42 out of the 46 recommendations, one of which is that banks in Australia should hold much more cash on the side. So Westpac, what they did last week and the week before, is they decided to go and raise some money from the public because they're a listed public company. And they were doing this ostensibly so they could have more cash on the side to hold against their assets, including mortgage assets. Because they have to hold so much, they're not allowed to, you know, with this money they hold on the side, they can't lend it to you at 8% or 7%. They've got to actually put it in, they put it into the Reserve Bank or somewhere like that, and they get like 1.5% return. So it's a crappy return. And banks like to have much bigger returns because they've got to give a, a profit to their shareholders. So as a result of having to hold all this inefficient money, they decided that with all their assets, they now need to earn a bigger margin. And as a result of that, Westpac put up their interest rate by 20 basis points, 0.2%. Now, will all the other banks follow? Well, it's a pretty seductive thing that Westpac, which is the second largest asset holder in this country, they'd have like a book portfolio of mortgages of over 400 billion out of the 1.3 trillion that the banks hold in this country. It's so seductive that I would say all the other major banks are frothing at the mouth to increase their rate by 0.2 or more or, or slightly less because it just drops to their bottom line or alternatively maintains their bottom line in a a slow growth environment, which is what the regulator wants, to slow the growth down. So why didn't the other banks follow? Well, my reason, my theory for that is that if all the other banks had to follow the day after or the two days after, this may have looked like it was collusive. In other words, that they're all operating together and that Westpac was just simply signalling into the market, hey, guys, let's increase our rate by 20 base points. So therefore, Westpac's actually smart because they got ahead of everybody else question is, therefore, will all the other banks follow? My view on it is it definitely will, and I think all the banks will follow when the next Reserve Bank reduction happens. They're hanging out for the Reserve Bank to have an interest rate reduction. I think the next interest rate reduction will be on Melbourne Cup Day, which is like a couple of weeks from now. Um, last four Melbourne Cup days in the last four years, Reserve Bank has done something with rates, whether they've done something before that month, month before, the month after, but they've never missed Melbourne Cup Day because it just gets hidden. So I think this uh, on the first Tuesday of November, the Reserve Bank will put rates down. I think what's going to happen is all the banks are going to say, we'll only pass on five basis points instead of the whole 25 basis points. And they all will pick up the 20 basis points that Westpac's just picked up. I think that's what's going to happen. Now, just coincidentally, whilst Westpac was sitting around having a cup of tea and lamingtons in their boardroom and deciding to put their interest rate up by 0.2 of a percent, me and my board members of Yellow Brick Road, because we knew nothing about what Westpac was doing, we actually were sitting around our boardroom uh, grinding our knuckles and trying to work out how to do well in this industry and grow. We put our interest rate down. So Yellow Brick Road now has an interest rate of 3.92. That's the comparison rate. So that's the rate with everything added into it is 3.92. If you're on the standard variable rate at Westpac, you're paying 5.58. Point being here is, whilst I'm not just here to blow my own trumpet, which, by the way, it's called the Mark Burra Show, so I'm going to try and blow my own trumpet here. <laughs> Um, but the point here is this, whether you go with Yellow Brick Road or not, the point here is this, there is such a disparity between lenders and their rates at the moment, you should shop around. And whatever you do, don't get nuked into thinking by your lender that that's the only place you can get your loan from when they put their rates up. So don't, and don't expect discounts now either from everybody, particularly your current lender. So 
shop, shop, shop. And, you know, if you want, feel free to turn it up and walk on the Yellowbrick Road branch and see what you can get. But whatever you do, make sure you shop around because this disparity in interest rates is going to be a new phenomenon. Um, you know, as Gail Kelly calls it, the new norm. It is the new norm. The new norm is now not everyone acting in lockstep with each other. Everybody's going to be trying to get as much out of their mortgage as they possibly can. That's the lenders I'm talking about. So you, the borrower, are going to try and get as much out of your bank or lender as possible as well. So shop around because there's big differences now between the interest rates. Okay, that's that. That's the uh, boring bit. Now the interesting bit. Adam McDougall. How are you, hey, mate? How are you, mate? All right? Good, mate. I mean, I see you around the traps a lot. Um, my, my my best memories of you, I mean, not to say this is not a best memory of you, the 10 minutes you just flogged me, um, <laughs> but my best memory of you is uh, we were just talking about it on the way back from the gym. Uh, the 1998 was the first experience of me when I first started sponsoring um, State of Origin when uh, Super League War had just finished yeah. and uh, Tui's had pulled out. And uh, I took, Wizard took over the sponsorship and you were in the 98 side with uh, Tommy. Yeah, I was, yeah. And were you, did you play in the Super League period? I didn't play in the Super League period. I uh, got injured. I was meant to play in 97, but yep. I got injured. So 98 was obviously the first year I played, which was even more special as I was uh, the only player that year to make his debut in Origin for New South Wales. So um, you made your debut in 98? 98, 98 oh, the yeah. Debut. My debut year too. Yeah, as yeah a sponsor. exactly. Double so, debut. And, mate, and it just, it, I know I'm going to talk about your business, but I just want to quickly, because you know, a yeah. lot of people are fascinated by the difference between Origin today. 40 today yeah. compared to 40 then. And like like everything today is yeah. super better, but footy then was quite cool. Like I mean, it was I mean you could punch someone in the head yeah. <laughs> if they punched you, but but that's not the only reason it was cool. It was less scrutinised. Yeah. Give me, give me, give me your views. Yeah, on well, that. I was very lucky. I come into um, professional football in the mid nineties, and then I finished up uh, in two thousand twelve. So I essentially played over three decades, and um, you know I got to enjoy you know all the different I suppose parts of them decades. And for me, the nineties were the best. Um, there was no mobile phones, so blokes could behave badly and. Uh, it was seen as something that uh, no one else could um, really bang them down for. These days, you can't even go out and have a beer with your mates without someone taking a photo or videoing you. Um, and the other thing was the game wasn't as scrutinised. It was more open. There wasn't as much technical review and science in the game, so there wasn't as much wrestling. The game was more free-flowing. It was more fast. It was more energetic. and More uh, natural. Sort more of natural. There was footballers in the game. Yeah, now yeah. there's robots. So, you know, I, I was given the option to play again by Wayne Bennett in 2012, but um, I decided against it because I'd got to a stage where my role as an outside back had no longer been scoring tries and trying to take my opponent on one-on-one had become a role of running out of dummy half and wrestling. So uh, the game became very sterile and very robotic, and I just felt it was time to go. Is it true? A lot of people want to know this. Is it true <laughs> that Mad Dog Dukes, Yeah, that was your nickname, Mad yeah, Dog, yeah, yeah. used to sit in the dressing sheds before the game yeah. and whack himself? No. Uh, well, I don't know. Hopefully, I uh, didn't whack myself, but... Uh, <laughs> oh, I'm mean, dog yourself. I didn't. <laughs> uh, some guys do that to relax before they play. But that was way me. before the game. Yeah. I actually... I was celebrate for a week before. That made me angry. But, uh, but no, look, it's got some good stories. And, um, you know, Andrew Johns, who's probably a bit um, crazy, as we all know, um, knew that I had some good stories on him. So he had to make... Uh, discredit my legitimacy. So he told everyone I was crazy so they wouldn't believe my stories. But it was actually quite good, the stories. I remember meeting, you know, opposition players and they'd be looking at me going, this bloke's not a full picnic. He short a few sandwiches. So uh, certainly helped me and I embellished the stories as well. And being mad was uh, the style of football that I played. I was very aggressive and, you know, didn't want to leave anything on, off the field. And in 98, I can't remember, did we win? 
I, we drew the series back then. We won one each and it was a draw. So um, it was a drawn series, which is a stupid concept in itself. But uh, we drew the series. But, um, you know, I was lucky to play in a period where New South Wales, we had Brad Fittler, Andrew Johns, and Laurie Daly. You know, look, well, we won 3-0 the series. We beat Queensland 52-6. to six, So they were the good days. I remember when I was meant to play in 2007 under Craig Bellamy and um, unfortunately I decided I was a bit old because um, I didn't want to get beaten because Queensland are so bloody good these days. I, can't, I think we did get beaten too. Yeah, we did. did we Belly <laughs> wasn't too happy. He didn't like that uh, origin coaching. Three coaches you had under origin, who'd you, who'd you experience? Yeah, look, uh, Phil Gould, um, Tommy Rodonikas and Wayne Pearce. And, so all uh, totally different. All totally different. You know, like Phil Gould's a very deep thinker. Um, you know, he, he obviously likes to get in the players' minds. Wayne Pierce is a real motivator, very new age, you know, likes to, you know, create team harmony and, and likes to do stuff, which is really interesting. I loved his coaching style. And Tommy Adonica is just old style. So for me, I was very blessed to, to make my origin debut in 98 under Tommy because coming into camp as the only young kid, you know, walking in the room, you know, with guys like Andrew Eddinghouse and Laurie Daly, Glenn Lazarus, these are, they were up in my bedroom wall. They were my idols. Yeah, yeah. So it was overwhelming. Everyone had told me how big a deal Origin was. As soon as I walked into to the room with Tommy Redonikas, you know, he just made me relax because, you know, it, it was no pressure. The game plan was simple. Just go out there and bash the bastards and that was Cattle it. dog. Cattle dog. Getting a stink. That, that, that was cattle dog. Yeah, cattle dog. 98 yeah, was yeah, cattle, yeah, dog cattle, dog. The cattle dog. Yeah, cattle dog. Cattle dog call. So it kept now, it simple, mate. That was the beauty of Tommy. I, I, yeah, I, 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 had, well, I, I went through that period. I think I'd, I went through six or seven different coaches. I, I sponsored for 10 years and I, it was probably 10 of the best years of my life yeah. um, being involved in footy. I mean, I'm I'm a footy tragic, but I, I loved it. And Now, I just want to take it back. To, I mean, you're not just, and I, I don't mean this in a condescending way relative to anybody else in football, but you're not just a rugby league player. I mean, you you studied as well. Yeah. So what did you study? Yeah, so um, originally how I ended up in Newcastle was um, I couldn't get into a Sydney University to do economics law. Um, that's what my mum wanted me to do. She wanted me to study. My dad was uh, lucky enough to play in three grand finals himself and play for New South Wales um, and play at the highest level in rugby league. But um, he um, made me realise that rugby league is a very short-term career. Um, doesn't always go the way that you want it. So he was insistent that I studied. So the deal was if I wanted to play footy, I had to study. So I didn't um, want to not do economics law. I couldn't get into Sydney Uni. So I moved to Newcastle and that's why I started studying economics law. Um, after a year of studying uh, economics law, um, I was more attracted to the numbers and the, uh, the financial side. So I moved into a, an economics finance degree. I ended up finishing with that. Also went on to study a master's of business and MBA, uh, studied psychology, sports, nutrition. So I'd train during the day and at night I'd go to university. So you would have been weird. one of the few guys in the side, the Newcastle side who did that. I mean, there wouldn't be too many players generally who were doing that. No, I was the only guy in the team at that time that was going to university at night. And, um, yeah, it's balance. Yeah, well, look, mate, 17 years of playing first <laughs> grade. Sure well, yeah, I played, look, I played first grade for close to 20 years of competitive football and they actually gave you money to go to uni. So yeah, I couldn't yeah. understand why guys when I played over that 20-year period didn't go to uni. So... Um, but probably because of our parents telling them to. Yeah, and I think, you I know, think that's it's about balance. Life balance is a big thing. So football is a very physical sport, and I found that the study actually gave me a, a lot of value in my football career as well. It actually made me, I suppose, made me more present. It actually made me able to problem solve in different ways to other guys. It actually challenged a different side of my brain. Well, that's what I want to ask you because I think because we have had um, uh, Todd Sampson and we have talked, have had a lot of discussions about, you know, the neuroscience and the way the brain yeah. works. and. But I'd like to ask you, how important or how, how significant do you think that playing rugby league and training your brain that way, yep. that's all the discipline and, you know, the ability to be able to pace yourself, the ability to be able to manage yourself on a football field, know when to explode, when not to explode, and same with, you know, with all the training program. And then juxta, in juxtaposed to that 
is your um, study. Um, how do those two things, do you think, influenced what you're doing today with, with your man for your man shakes, man bars and your yeah. general fitness business? I mean, yeah. how do you think those worked for you? Yeah, look, I think um, balance is so important and, you know, hence why, you know, I've got into the health and fitness space because now we're working longer hours than ever. We're not actually taking care of ourselves from a health point of view. And for me, it's about balance. So it's about training both sides of your brain. So, you know, exercise trains one part of your brain. We know the, the, the value that gives you with the oxygen and, and the endorphins and whatnot. But the study also creates another part of your brain, which is very important. And as we age, we need to be challenging our brains. It's, it's mind fitness. It's a mind gym. So doing jigsaw puzzles or, or trying to learn a new language or just studying something new. So I think that balance is very important. It gave me skills. As I said, that I was able to observe the game and learn the game and, and take some of them attributes I learned from university, which was commitment and some other skills and combine them with rugby league and it sort of made a better business person as well as a better athlete. So the skill of research. Very important. That, that's something you learn at university. Yep. I mean, that's one of the most important things universities teach you is you know, to, how to research and, yep. they, and they put pressure on you right down to when you're doing your research paper as to how you, um, you know, do your quotations and yep. how you make your references. I mean, it's a pain in the ass. You think, so why is somebody making me do this? Yeah, yeah. But it's all about the, the discipline of doing proper research and um, and, and accrediting the people that and accrediting the people have done it. Correct. Done for you. Yeah, yeah. That, that's pretty important. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, but I don't think it's less to do with your discipline, more credit. Well, no, it is. I think it is to do with your thinking discipline, though. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and so, how important was that in terms of what that allowed you to actually set this business up? Because a lot of guys come into footy yeah, and they're yeah. going to say, "I'm going to set up a new business." Yeah, yeah. Now it's not that easy. No. So how did that, that sort of skill from university studying help you? Yeah, well, f firstly, I was lucky. I studied entrepreneurship at university. Um, in my MBA, I studied a lot of great subjects from everything from leadership, you know, to entrepreneurship, um, to basic, you know, masters of applied finance. So I, I was pretty lucky to have that education. Probably having an economics background is the lens that I view life through. So being an economist, which is a dying trade these days, I, I really come out of university with some great, obviously, lessons, and particularly the 80-20 rule, something I live and die by. Um, Dr. Perito Ricardo, who developed the 80-20 rule, essentially about you know 20% of your results, 80% uh, of your results come from 20% of your your uh, your inputs. So it made me start to analyse the way that I even trained as a football, the way that I ate. So I wanted to find out where am I going to get the 80% of the return from the smallest amount of investment. So everything I do in life, that's efficiency. how I look at efficiency. It's about efficiency. You get diminishing returns to scale. Obviously, when you invest money after a while, that money is not making you the same return. So you're better off putting some of that money somewhere else. Diversification. Um, there's so many great economic lessons and laws that I applied to football and to business. And the main one for me was the 80-20 rule. So I knew that, you know, 20% of my effort was going to get me 80% of the returns if I focused it specifically to the areas that gave me the most bang for my buck. So why did you pick fitness and health? I, I picked fitness and health because despite having spent 20 years at university studying things such as finance and economics and statistics and maths, um, when I went out into the real world my first year after retiring, I went into investment banking and I quickly realised that I had no practical application in the real world. And it was probably going to take me another 20 years to become a, a skilled and proficient in something such as sport and fitness, which I'd done my whole life. So in the time that I come through as an athlete, my body was my, was my income. So I'd studied, applied every diet, every training system you could imagine over a 20-year period to, to reach the top and play for Australia. So I inherently understood the business of getting fit and healthy better than anyone else because I'd applied it for 20 years. Nice, nice so that's question. why I went into that field. And there's so many guys now, unfortunately, the fitness industry is littered with people who are trying to make money and have no skill or application over a long period. So you can go to a weekend course now from some of these institutions and become a qualified personal trainer. How do you then go out in the real world in any occupation as a financial planner or as someone that's going to lend someone money or give them advice and do a weekend course and be an expert? 
So I was sick and tired of watching people make money at other people's expense. And as I always joke, you know, we spoke about some myths made about me earlier. They were good and fun, but when you're actually making up bullshit about people's health and fitness, mm. that's serious. They don't get their time back. They don't get their health back. So I wanted to come in the industry and be disruptive and, and really just show people a simple way of getting healthy and fit. Mm-hmm. I know a, a, a couple of footballers that are you know, now bankers, et cetera. I mean, yep. And I mean, you know, they're... Some of them, some of them struggle. Some of them die okay for themselves. I mean, do, do you, and I always sort of wonder. I think to myself, you've done, and you're doing the, you're doing what I think they should do. Yeah. I mean, you've, you've you've built all this, you know, all this goodwill and a huge brand behind yourself, and you've and you by playing footy, you've you've studied and honed your craft, and yep. now you and now you're putting it to good use, right? I mean, all the other stuff sort of helps, right? The yep. business training that you've had, but. I mean, does it make more sense just to go with what you know, like your core competency rather than sort of changing direction so late? I mean, some of these guys get into it in their 30s, right? Yeah, yeah. And they're sort of competing with guys that have got 10 years on them that have yeah. sort of really, you know, they have that's been their ultimate passion in life. And they're sort of, you know, your first passion, you probably say it still is your passion is fitness, yeah, health, yeah. sport, right? I mean, they're sort of competing with guys where, you know, they come out of high school and they make financial services is their passion yeah. and they're trying to compete with guys that have got 10 years and it's, it's their first passion in life. Yeah, yeah. Does it make more sense to just run with what you know and, yeah, and try well, and build on that, which you have and you've obviously done very well? It certainly does. For me, I, I won't lie to you, I felt like that because I'd studied nearly 20 years at university that it was below me to go into something that was like football. Yeah. You know, unfortunately as footballers, I remember my first year out in the real world with investment banking and financial um, servicing in the mining industry, I'd walk into a room and Blake's would go, oh, you're a footballer. Yeah. You know, can you count? You know, so, you know, there was <laughs> yeah. a real part of me which wanted to show people I wasn't dumb. There's a huge but business behind sport. And there there right, is. You know and there was, yeah, it was a huge part of me, though, that wanted to show people I was more than just a footballer. Yeah. So, but in saying that, too, I, I quickly realized the most important thing, and I know it's a cliche, but he's doing something you're passionate yeah. about. And I wasn't passionate about finance. Yeah. as I was about helping people have a better life and actually showing people how to get fit and healthy. So, not giving into the hubris as well. Like, I mean, you know, you, footy's your life, sport's yeah, yeah. your life, and, and, you know, don't worry about trying to prove, the, you know, the naysayers wrong yeah, and show yeah. them that you've actually got a brain and, yeah. you, and you've got business acumen and all that sort of stuff. You just do do your thing, right? Yeah, and it's a, it's a hard thing. It's a transition, is, it's, and I don't think the NRL does enough on several fronts. And, you know, firstly, the first front they don't do enough on is retired players is that transition phase. Yeah. You go from a system where you're in school, you've got a routine every day, you wear a uniform out in the professional rugby league, which is exactly the same. You turn up, you wear a uniform every day, you're there at a certain time, you're told when to eat, what to do, no thinking required, same as school. Then at 30 years of age, the rug's pulled out from under your feet, you put into the real world and it's like, do your best now. And during that course, I went and self-educated myself, but the rugby league's happy to say they educate players, but education's one thing and we spoke about it earlier, it's about experience. You know, they need to be giving guys several days a week where they go out into the real world and apply some sort of practical application of stuff they're studying. Because mm. that is, that's, you know, knowledge is one thing and wisdom, you know, is one thing. You know, knowledge is knowing, wisdom is doing. And that's the biggest thing that there's that disconnect in rugby league at the moment. They're getting these guys to do courses. But then when they hit 30, they go out in the real world, Mr. Boris, can I get a job? Well, what's your experience? None. I've studied none. So you, you know, you're always chasing your tail. So that's one thing they need to do. They need to help guys find their identity when they finish. And for me, I was very lucky that I found my identity in the end after a year of not knowing it. And that's where guys suffer from depression. I was lucky because I had a goal, and I think that's the most important thing for mental health is having a purpose. Yeah. If you've got a purpose, I think you're very driven and you're focused. So who was your mentor? Mate, several people have been mentors to me. I've been pretty lucky. Obviously, my dad was my biggest influence um, in the sense that, you know, he educated me on several things. Um, a lot of coaches. Malcolm really was a big mentor for me as a coach. Um, and I think the game of rugby league really shaped me as a person. You know, the, the greatest thing about rugby league and the thing I struggled with 
most in business this this far is you know having a team of you know 30 plus people that work with me is holding people accountable you know in rugby league you know when you hold someone accountable it's through physical <laughs> exertion it's in, in, you know basically you apply yourself physically over them you assert your dominance physically whereas in the workplace you can't actually speak to people the way you speak to them on a football field yeah and you build yourself up to you get into that position of confrontation where you can say mate pull your freaking head in that's not good enough whereas in business you need to hold people accountable every single day so there's some great attributes from football, but there's some weaknesses and blind spots as well. So football's given me the, the work ethic. It's taught me about hard work that overcomes, you know, talent all the time. It's talked to me about, you know, accountability is a big thing. You know, I think um, in rugby league, everyone's accountable. You know, you can't bullshit to your mates. You're standing in the defensive line, you miss a tackle, you put your hand up. Yeah. Something I struggled with in the real world, in the workplace, was that lack of accountability with a lot of people. They're there just clocking the card every day. They're happy to go through the motions. There's no drive, there's no passion, there's no pride with some people. Um, oh, entrepreneurs, there's plenty. No accountability. Yeah. You know, if someone makes a mistake, oh, it wasn't my bad. Yeah. He didn't. Yeah. He didn't do that. That's why I made the mistake. And you know, the thing is, you can't make them accountable. They're either accountable people. Yeah. They have it in their personality, so it comes down to recruitment. Yeah. You got to recruit people who understand the accountability yeah. aspect because you. Because otherwise, if you start trying to make thirty people accountable, you're basically man managing thirty yeah. people and not running the business. Yeah. You can't be doing that. You can't be doing. You've that. You have got to have thirty individuals who have a natural accountability streak in them. Yeah. And that's a hard thing to do. It's a hard thing to do. And, you know, it's, it's really interesting. You go back to who are your mentors and stuff like that. You know, I think it is important to have mentors and people you aspire to. And, you know, I generally look at entrepreneurs as my people that inspire me. You know, I think, you know, people like yourself, you look at some of these great stories and anybody that's made it, and that's the great thing about Australia. You know, if you're willing to work hard and have a dream and push yourself and go out there and hustle, you can make it. And, um, you know, you can take – I'm a big believer in, you know – really finding people that you can aspire to take some attribute from. Going back to my 80-20 rule, finding the attribute that makes that person unique and special and what's made them successful and trying to emulate that and imitate that, which is, you know, the easiest thing to do is find out what are the habits of successful people, how do they become successful, and then try and borrow from that and apply it yourself. So, Just take me on the journey now, mate. How would you get into this? This man shake, come on, the, the, the business. Tell me what, first off, tell me what the headline is. What's yep. the headline of the business? The headline of the business is... Um, with so much noise out there and so much confusion, guys were getting lost. It was all too hard for men. Men or women? Or- men specifically. So essentially uh, the weight loss business has been geared towards women and it's been very much built on emotion. And, you know, I write for Penguin Publishing and Michelle Bridges is the expert for women. I'm the expert for men, which is a big punt from them because they explain that men really are really hard to sell to as far as health and fitness messaging go. Firstly, men think that being overweight is normal and there's nothing wrong with it. And I find that really interesting, you know, in today's society as role models for your kids and as people that want to be here for longer. We've got more money than ever, yet the quality of our life now is becoming worse because of bad health. So for me, the real driving force behind this was there was so much bullshit out there about how to get fit and healthy. People thought they needed to go and train at the gym for an hour. They thought they needed to go on some radical fad diet. And the foods that were on the market, to be quite honest with you, were crap. So the other meal replacements on the market, on average, had 30 grams of sugar a serve. So I wanted to design a product that was actually good for you. How how many, could, but just in context, 30 grams of sugar is how many teaspoons? Teaspoons of sugar. So for, so there's essentially uh, um, four grams of sugar per teaspoon. Yeah, so it's like nearly t- 10 teaspoons of sugar. Yeah, well, essentially about, yeah, you know. That's a lot. A lot of sugar yeah. in the bloody thing. So it was about, yeah, eight teaspoons of sugar. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you add that up two shakes a day, you're having close to 20 teaspoons of sugar in a shake that's meant to be healthy for you. And we all know now that insulin is the biggest cause of ill health, essentially, when it comes to weight gain. So... This thing was spiking your insulin levels. So I thought, well, why are they doing this? And I quickly realized that they were doing this because it was all about the bottom line. It was all about greed. Sugar's a cheap ingredient. If you put actually high protein into a product, it's four to five times more expensive. So they were telling people with the messaging on the label, this product's good for you, but they well and 
they well and good knew that three percent of people read a label of nutritional panel on a product. So, so, so I go, wanted go to change. To the, go back to the sugar as a as a as a cost of goods sold. Um, is it expensive? So have more sugar in there, obviously. Cheap as crap. Sugar's so cheap. You go oh, buy a kilo of sugar, you buy it for eighty cents. You okay, go buy right. whey powder, which okay. is twenty something dollars a yeah, kilo. Okay. So why are so you going to cut costs? Cut it costs, make yeah, profit yeah. margin, and, okay. and to spike your insulin, and to spike okay. your insulin, make you hungry, so you want more, and you know it becomes like a drug. It becomes addictive. You know, in my last book, we found that you know in rats, they found that sugar was nine times more addictive than cocaine. So they've actually got food scientists now that work in their businesses that give you the right dose of fat, sugar, and salt, so you become addicted to that food. So essentially, my product has one gram of sugar in it, one point nine gram, eight grams of sugar in it, which is per serve. Per serve. So you're eighty eight percent less sugar a week in my product than using another one. So I was really pissed off, to be honest with you, that there was people out there that were selling this lie to the average person. And coincidentally, within several weeks of deciding I wanted to make a change, my best mate dropped dead of a heart attack. He was overweight. We used to joke about his weight. He had three young daughters under the age of six years of age. Um, he was a very successful builder. Um, he lived under the Harbour Bridge. He had a Ferrari, a Lamborghini. His business turned over $50 plus million dollars a year. Yeah. Um, but he put his health second. And he was always going to get fit tomorrow. But tomorrow never come because he thought he needed to go to the gym for an hour a day. He thought he needed to go on a diet. Which it's is huge, not, isn't it? it's like, not the case, you know. We had a lady um, write in. She said there was, you know, she's trying to get defibrillators into the community yep. areas, you know, to you know, resuscitate people from cardiac arrest. There's apparently 32,000 incidents of cardiac arrest every year in Australia. And it's becoming, a, the root cause of that is just our lifestyle. You know, we're, we're moving less, we're eating worse foods. And, yeah. you know, I, I just seen that people are confused and they just give up. I always say with blokes, you know, particularly with our health, when we get one flat tyre in our car, we don't go and slash the other three tyres. So we've got four flat tyres. Our health, we do that. Mm. So, for example, blokes have a bad day and they might have a pie or something for lunch. Off. And they go, you know what, stuff, I'm going to go to the pub now and have 16 schooners. You know, or I'm going to start training next Monday when I can go, when I can go, on, a, when I can go on a diet. It's an all-or-nothing approach. But you're, not, but you're not advocating not having a drink or anything like that. I mean, you're, 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 you're advocating, adding, advocating moderation. Yeah, lose the beer without losing all the beers. So yeah. for me, it's about living life, and that's the whole thing. It's about – I always say to people, we're waiting for motivation one day to wake us up and tap us on the shoulder and say, let's do this. It's never going to happen. The only way that you get motivated in life is through results. And how do you get results? Through taking action. And the great thing I'm trying to educate people on is if I can show you small little things that you can do, which will give you massive results, which will then in turn give you motivation. So for example, the reason I developed the shakes is because we now know that guys should be waking up to a high protein, high fiber breakfast. Instead, most of us get up in the morning, we eat breakfast like we were 12 still. We have cereal, we have toast, which is essentially a carbohydrate, energy-based food. We don't need that in the morning. Particularly as we age, we need more protein to help us maintain and preserve muscle and build muscle. So the first thing that guys do wrong is they either have a breakfast like a kid or they miss breakfast. What happens then when you miss breakfast? Your body goes into starvation mode. It's smart. It seeks out fast energy foods such as sugar. You grab a coffee. Before you know it, you're grabbing the bagel or you're grabbing a chocolate bar. Lunchtime, you're grabbing something that's full of crap once again. You get home. You're ready to rip your fridge door off after you've eaten, the arm off, after you've eaten your other arm off. So we use the other arm to get to the fridge door. And you overeat at night. So it's crazy, you know what I mean? And basically, it's like the Australian cricket team. You need a good opening batsman to basically build your, your test score. And that means start with a good breakfast. Yeah. Something as simple as that, Mark, I can tell you now, blokes lose five kilos within a couple of weeks. Yeah, well, I've been – I'm not here to blow smoke up your eyes, but yeah. I've, been, I've been using your stuff. And uh, I, I, was, I think I was saying to Nick, my son Nick, 
that I have I have one of your man bars. I, there's one flavour in particular that's got the nuts and chocolate in it. Yeah, hazelnut chocolate. Hazelnut, that's one. Yeah. Um, I tried the peppermint one. It's not, that's not to my um, taste buds, but I like that. I've tried them all, and I've, yeah. but the hazelnut ones. But what I do is I have one mid-morning, mid-afternoon. Yep. And I get a bit so – I start to get a bit – feel a bit hungry, a bit tired. I just have one of them. But I'm also – I'm a firm believer this first thing I do is I have a, a shake. Yeah, yeah. I drink the 180 a bottle because yeah, I've got bad thumbs. Yeah, the only thing is I've got bad thumbs, but I, but, I, but I don't like preparing it. But I do believe in this. I've been doing this for about three years now. Yeah. And, and I was using other types of products. Um, then, but then, then Nick Fordham put me onto your stuff. Um, and I like your stuff. Your stuff's good. And I, I, I'm a firm believer in now the first thing I do in the morning. And if I don't do it, I, I, I feel sick. Yeah, yeah. If I don't have a protein as soon as I get up in the morning, before yeah. my coffee, yeah. I feel a bit sick in the stomach. yeah. yeah. It's just, it's the weirdest thing. Simple ingredients in there as well. Just milk, sesame, and tree nuts in there. Yeah, well, look, oh, they say beware. So in, in the vanilla bar, for example, you know, the vanilla bar, we obviously use my whey powder. So and I then just gave after that, sauce, quinoa, no. no quinoa, <laughs> pumpkin seeds, coconut, yeah. um, tahini, and almonds. So that's what's in the bars. Oh, and, so that's what's in there. Yeah, and, you know, going but back to But there'd be some secret. Yeah. Yeah, well, there's a secret, which is the, the, the dairy powder, which is Australian-made, Australian source. All my products, the bags are made in Australia. Everything's Australian source, Australian No made. ingredients you can't pronounce, basically. No like ingredients you, you can't a, pronounce. You go down the body ASN and there's yeah. chemicals everywhere. Well, you know, mate, like, the unfortunate in, in, industry is a sports supplement industry. Yeah. Mine's food. So food, we're regulated by the government. So what is what I say is in my products actually in there. It's been tested. Yeah. Unfortunately, sports supplements, which are coming from America under different manufacturing rules and laws, you don't know what you're getting. So, so let's explain the difference between that. So like, yeah. you know, sports supplement versus food. Yeah, food. And that's why you call your, yours is man food. A food supplement, So yeah. explain the difference. Well, the difference is sports supplements are made for, for people under a loosely regulated industry, which is called sports supplements. So, you know, essentially it's a supplement to your diet. So it, it's, it's not as heavily regulated. Obviously, bringing in products from overseas, they have different requirements overseas as far as manufacturing, as far as quality control. For example, they can import stuff from China, mix that product into their own product and say that it's American-made. Whereas in Australia, we have different laws. So, you know, anyone out that's buying any type of food, as we've seen with the berry incident recently, you know, oh, yeah. with Nana's berries, yeah. you know, the problem with that sort of thing is food laws, people think they're eating Australian-made food and they're not because the laws are so misleading and ambiguous. It's the same as the front of your pack, you know, what's high protein? What's low sugar? You know, it's all relative. Use, it's all relative. Yeah, yeah. You know, lower in sugar. Lower in sugar than what? The last crap product that you made? Yeah. yeah. You know, it's like some of these, you or know. a Mars bar. A Mars bar. Yeah, well, lower than sugar in a Mars bar. Yeah, up and go, for example. Yeah, just yeah, bought yeah. out a drink that's higher in protein, lower in sugar than what? The, the pack of sugar they were selling kids before at the can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Relative. It's all relative. So the interesting thing about food is it's very uh, it's very regulated. So if someone goes and has my product. Just, 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 just explain it, Adam. You're saying the difference is if you're selling a food product, food product yes. as opposed to a sports product, which yeah. is what most – most of these protein things yeah, are. Yeah, yeah. The food stuff is regulated. It's regulated. So what you're doing is it's regulated. It's regulated. Whereas the other one's unregulated, unregulated. so you're always going to be uncertain what the yeah, quality well, is. Yeah, it's very loosely regulated. So because yeah, yeah. you're supplementing something into your diet, it's not necessary. Right. But when you're ingesting food, it's necessary. So your stuff is food-based. It's food-based. Therefore, it's regulated. It's therefore, a consumer can be have a greater degree of certainty That's as correct. to the quality of what's going in Going there. into it. And you know it's Australian-made, you know, and the claims on the product will be substantiated. And the interesting thing about that as well is, is that because it's food, you have to ingest food, the laws are very tight. So you have to disclaim what's in your product. So recently we've seen a, a young boy, unfortunately, die from drinking some coconut water and milk because they didn't disclose that it had lactose in the product because it was from overseas and it wasn't seen as a food product. They didn't have to disclose that. Whereas when it's food, if you have any allergies and someone may have allergies, even if you're blending nuts in your facility, you have to disclose that you make products that have nuts in that facility. So it may contain traces of nuts. It may contain traces of dairy. 
So then if someone eats it because they think it's food and they drop dead, you're legally in a lot of strife. Yeah, you're responsible. So, so it's very can interesting. Us, can you tell us about the um, – you know the the journey of the business, so like the 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 man challenge that you wrapped yeah. around the app, the exercise yeah. programs, and like you know where you where you know where you started distributing, where yeah. you dist- where your distribution points are now. Because I, I I don't want you know Nick's told me some of the numbers, but yeah. I, I don't know, don't want to disclose anything that you're not uncomfortable that you're uncomfortable with. But um, you know, it sounds like you're doing really really well, and yeah. it seems like you know, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's a strategy there that yeah. you sort of you know you started with and you followed through it on that's how you get to this point. It was really interesting before I teamed up, and it's a big strategy. And I've been very blessed to have Nick Fordham in the business who adds a lot in so many ways. And I'm a big believer in team. You know, that's yeah. something that football taught me about surrounding yourself with team. Yeah. You know, team is you know you can't can't do it all by yourself. So you yeah. have to surround yourself with people that complement your skills and people that are willing to buy into that team value and, and grow your business. But, you know, I started this business to help people and that was yeah. that's my, you know, it's not driven by the bottom line. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I went out there, to go back to the story about the bars, you talk about your favourite bar, the hazelnut bars, to show you essentially my naivety, I suppose, wanting to help people. I wanted to make the best quality product I could. So I made a product first based on quality. I didn't worry about the price, I just wanted to make quality. I don't believe you're ever going to win the war in consumerism through price. I think people will purchase a product at the end of the day for quality. I think we get lost, people, the manufacturers of any product get lost on setting themselves on price as a driving competency. I think people are looking for quality and that was the first thing I did. So the bars, for example, the hazelnut bars, when I was making them, I was purchasing obviously the hazelnuts, they come from Turkey and I was selling the bars for a couple of bucks each. All of a sudden the hazelnut prices, because there was a freeze in Turkey, went from $9 a kilo to $39 a kilo. So you can work out pretty quickly that my bars went from costing me about, yeah. you know, a couple of bucks to make when there was a small margin. Hold the price static. You just, Hold you the just price static. You just what do you do? Yeah. So all of a sudden yeah. my bars cost me about six bucks a bar to make yeah. because of the bloody freezing and where, turkey. where were you selling so, them at the start? So online. So what I wanted yeah. to do is I got approached when the bar, product first hit and it worked so well. There's yeah. no point having a product that doesn't work. Yeah. You, you know, you're going to con people for a short period of time and if it doesn't work. So I really wanted to change the way that business had been done in this space and I wanted to be disruptive. So I wanted to really piss off people and say, my product's twice as good as yours, and guess what? It's cheaper. The only way I could do that was through not going through traditional points of sale, brick and mortar. So as soon as I went, realistically, I'll say it openly on air, the last frontier of racketeering in this country is distribution of any good. So if you want to get in your product... Oh, if you want to get into service stations, you want to get into service stations, you want to get in. animal anyway. You have to go. If I, Coles or anyone wants you or a service station, BP, anyone wants you in their service station, you really most of the time have to use a distributor. Yeah. And that distributor goes, well, you, oh, I'm going to put your product in, my, in their stores, but guess what? I'm going to charge you 40%. Yeah. So I'm going to, you're, going to buy, you're going to sell this product to you for a dollar and I'm going to make 40 cents just for moving your box into yeah. that store. Then that store wants at least 100% markup. They want to double their money at least. So all of a sudden you go from making a product that's a dollar that you could sell to a consumer yep. for a dollar and you might have a 10% margin. You're happy with that yeah. because you want to make a quality product. All of a sudden the consumer's got to pay four bucks, three bucks by the time it hits the store shelf. If you put quality in that ingredients into that product, that dollar product is all of a sudden $10 on us. How can anyone afford a quality product? They can't. The great thing about online now with businesses is that people who are entrepreneurial can create great products firstly. Yeah and not worry about price, and then they can get out there through audience. They can get out there through reach. You've been able to create great awareness for your product, given yeah. your, you know, your history at the Newcastle Knights. Um, yeah. You know, you, you know a, bunch, you know, a slew of um, professional sports stars yeah, yeah. and, you know, minor celebrities. Yeah, yeah. Apropos, Daniel. Minor celebrities. <laughs> Big celebrity. You're on the Sunday Telegraph. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Sunday so Telegraph. I mean, so I mean, yeah. But, I mean, for the, for the little guy that, that, you know, that, you know, w- you know, wants to pursue an online strategy, but yeah. it might not be the right, 
way to go. They might want to go and, and distribute through Coles yeah, and all this because that's the only sort of FaceTime they're going to get yeah, from yeah. the from the product's brand's point yeah. of view. I mean, do you, do you sort of maybe sort of say to the – like, I mean, you sort of got to look at it on a case-by-case basis, right? Like, you do. And you question the fact it, that, yeah, you're going to rip the guts out of it, but they're going to get your product out there, right? Well, there's, there's market loss strategies as well. You know, you can have offerings yeah. that go into them particular points of sale, which give you good branding, good awareness, yeah. and it's a market loss. You accept the fact you're going to lose money. Then draw them back to your and website. And then draw them yeah. back to your website. You know, you have different product offerings, which, you know, I'm exploring currently. But for yeah. me, it's about – once again, the 80-20 rule, if I'm going to invest my time into my business and grow it currently, am I best served off servicing the people that built my business originally, which was my tribe, the people online who are my champions? And that's my advice. Yeah. That's where I want to invest. I want to give back to them. Yeah, as, as anyone that sells any product, you first got to think about creating a win-win. Yeah. So we're so much driven in society now by what's in it for me, whereas I be- really believe in if you create a win for people out there, that then you build loyalty. So, for example, any online business out there, I encourage anyone to try and build loyalty and tribe within your people that follow you. And the way to do that to start with is create a, a great product. If you have a great product, people are going to spread the word for you. And in today's society with technology, you know, we, we live in an age of rapid, volatile, discontinuous change. And my That's university cool. professor used to say that all the time. And essentially what he's saying is we're rapidly evolving so quickly now that, you know, it's so exciting for anybody out there that's entrepreneurial to actually take on the world. At a faster rate than ever before. faster rate than ever before. It's discontinuous. It's laws stuff, right? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's coming so quickly, change. So, you know, the way to actually sustain a business is by building loyalty and a tribe. And you do that once, once again through building quality. And then, then people will go out there and they'll champion your product. So my advice to anyone that doesn't have the connections I've got is, like I said, if you build something that's great, and then you're able to influence people that then believe in that, they'll go and spread the word for you. And that's a great thing about us today. You know, the monopolies and the oligopolies that existed in our world before technology come on board with products that were traditionally sold for retail space no longer exists because you can get online and you can sell a product and all of a sudden, which has happened to me, Coles and Woolworths start asking you to go into their stores. So all of a sudden, it's not a push supply chain solution. It's a pull supply chain. You're getting pulled into these stores because of the quality of your products. So my advice to anyone looking to do a startup is firstly, if you've got a great product that you're passionate about, find people that you know that will be just as passionate to spread the word, but then add value. So an e-commerce site, and this is where everyone goes wrong, an e-commerce site isn't a site to sell something. It's a site to add value to your users. So for example, I'm very fortunate to have some great people that work with me, Adam Thompson, Nick Fordham, who work to create this value content. We've just filmed you guys this morning doing the workout. So now people come to my website and they can have an experience of watching you guys, see what makes you successful. See what you eat on a daily basis. So when they're visiting my website, I'm not just asking for a a cash transaction from them. I'm actually trying to give back first. I'm saying, here you go. Here's something to make you better. Here's something to entertain you. Here's something to add value to your life. I'm not trying to ask for something first. I'm actually giving you something for free. And that's building trust. That's building legitimacy. So if you so I can get all this stuff on your site without it, without even buying it, without even buying it, shake. I'm yeah. going to show you how to eat better. I'm going to educate yeah. them how to exercise. I'm going to give you all this. And stuff. You make it interesting too. Yeah. And I make like it interesting. Sonny Bill Williams in there, for yeah. example. You know, yeah, yeah. But yeah. The, the point is, if you want to add value to someone's well, life, Nick before Boris. you ask for something, you don't want to ask for something. As you know, Mark. You know, you, Jason. People trust you because of who you are, and you've proven yourself, and that's why you're trustworthy because you've been there for the long term. So many people now pop up on these e-commerce sites and you think, are they trustworthy? Are they legitimate? Is it transient? The first way to prove trust to people is through legitimacy, number one, but secondly is through giving them something. And so many times now, it's all about the bottom line for businesses. They're not willing to give anything away because it costs money to create content. Mm -hmm. So my advice is if you're going to build an e-commerce business, create a business that provides content and provides value to to your consumers first. 
Yeah, so uh, where to from here, mate? Like, you're just you're going to go to take it to Asia or you're going to what, – what's, what's your – what is your aspiration? To, like, what are your dreams? Yeah, my dream, realistically, is we've now bought on the Man Challenge, which we're, you know, we're looking to, to uh, Explain them what that horizontally is. integrate our business. So, essentially, we've started with the spoke, which is food and nutrition, um, and now we're looking to now to move into the training aspect. So, the, the Man Challenge was really a concept that I come up with, which was a lot of blokes, are, they don't exercise for several reasons. First, they lack motivation, they lack time, and they lack accessibility to a gym and affordability they can't afford it so i want everyone to have access to that so what i wanted to do is create a, a digital thing where you get on your phone and you could train with me and celebrities and you could actually do workouts in your lounge room in your hotel room anywhere you wanted without a gym and they only took 10 minutes a day and all the science what we did this morning what we did this morning explaining explain what it is and just so the high basis around exercise now is moving it's not about time it's about quality and you know if you think about how we really evolved as a human race Essentially, we sprinted away from prey. We sprinted towards catching our food to survive. So our bodies were built to sprint, to basically high quality of exercise. What's happened now is we sit all day in front of a computer. What most of us then do is we get in our box, which is our car. We drive to the gym. We sit on another piece of equipment, and we sit there and do some boring, mindless weights. The body wasn't designed for that. The body dies. So what they found now is through research is if you do a couple of minutes of high-intensity exercise a day, your body reproduces mitochondria which are the main energy cells of our body. So after a couple of minutes of this high-intensity exercise, your body all of a sudden is growing mitochondria, which is regenerating the whole body. You're also growing muscle, which is the most important thing to regulate how you use food. And then what we're also doing <coughs> is we're actually making ourselves fitter by releasing a number of hormones through lactic acid, <coughs> such as growth hormone and testosterone. So high-intensity exercise now they've shown in two minutes, three times a week, as little as that, that people can actually lose 20% of their gut fat. They can increase their fitness by 100%. So I, I took this concept of high-intensity interval training and I made it fun and competitive for blokes on their phone. And on top of that, we brought in a dietitian. We brought on Paul Ruse to help motivate and inspire guys for teaching them how to set goals, be resilient, overcome setbacks. And we developed a Michelle Bridges style of workout uh, program on your mobile phone, on your computer. And um, that's the next step for me is integrating that whole offering of health. So you've got the food, you've got the exercise, and then you've also got the mental approach. So the dream team is... Wake up in the morning having one of your man bars and your, or your yep. drinks, your shakes, yep. the man fuel. Yep. Um, uh, do get onto Adam McDougall's app. Or, yep. Do the ten minute man do, challenge do, on do your do phone. Do the man challenge yep. at home. Yep. Or wherever. Yep. Hotel room. Yep. Then maybe uh, have another man shake. Yeah. Well, that's the big thing. Go and cook one of the meals that we show you how to cook. I want okay, guys right to be right. able to go out there and fend for themselves. And this is the whole thing. I want to inspire and motivate guys to take ownership of their own lives. And mental health's a big thing. And we go and chase a mammoth, kill the mammoth. Kill a mammoth and, you know, and then drag it home for your family yeah. and, and, you know, whatnot. But the big thing for me is, you know, I'm an ambassador for State of Mind NRL and, you know, so many guys now suffering from mental health. I just want guys to live their best possible lives and be role models and be proud of what they achieve in life. And it all starts, I believe, with your health. You know, it's, it's funny, you know, not being spiritual on you, but, you know, you know, the Dalai Lama once said that, you know, we spend our whole lives trying to create wealth and then at the end of our lives we spend all our wealth trying to maintain our health. Mm. So we're sacrificing our health early in our life to get materialistic money for the price of what? Our health and wellness. And then at the back end of the life, you know, how much money would you give when you're on your deathbed to live another day? Mm. Untold. But we ignore our well, health our whole life. We do. We ignore our health every single day. We're willing to make bad decisions based on other things. for us. <laughs> 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 Don't worry, mate. I'll be fucking spending it before I get there. <laughs> yeah, but, 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 but what's interesting here is, uh, you know, like, if, you know, like I know you sort of you, you sort of couched in the Dalai Lama term. Yeah, yeah. it makes sense. But what you're really talking about here is moderate your lifestyle, but with quality moderation. In other words, just don't say, "Oh, I won't, 
work as hard yeah. or I won't drink as much, but actually try and input something into your guts. Yeah. You know, yeah. You know high quality stuff, whether it's your, your stuff or something or something else that you research is good, but also then just do a little bit of exercise. You don't, have to, you don't have to go that you don't have to go and do a marathon. No. You don't have to train for marathons. You just do ten minutes a day or fifteen minutes a day. Like I, I, I did it I did this today and I'm I'm a reasonably fit bloke and I trained you know, and I found the ten minutes quite a challenge. I mean yeah. where, where, what I know I could have done is I could have made it even harder for myself. Yeah, yeah. Because what you do in this uh, in this challenge is that Everything's like 20 seconds or 30 second yep. intervals yep. with a 20 or 30 second. 20, 30 second intervals, yeah. And then, and you don't do it so that, um, you don't say, say, do 20 push ups no. because that makes one blade feel bad relative exactly. to the other blade. You say, do as many push ups as you can in the 20 seconds. Yeah, that's right. So it's the time, the time becomes a universal principle. That's good. And it's, it's right for everybody. Yep. So nobody's discriminated against. Yep. And if you want to do today 10 in that 20 seconds or you want to do 12 or you want to do six. Yep. So that sort of makes sense. Yeah. It keeps you active. Yeah, it keeps you active. And, you know, like I was touching on before, you know, you get, the analogy I use with exercise is like sun. You want to go get a suntan, proven that if you go out in the sun for 10 minutes, your body releases melanin. After that period of time, you burn faster than your tan. So it's the right dose of exercise will give you uh, – <laughs> yeah, you guys are Greeks, so, you know, you're, you're tan 24-7. So, you're McDougal. Yeah. Brown all but, um, you know, the thing with exercise is the same. If you get the right dose, you know, unless you're trying to go to the Olympic Games, what's the point of doing too much? Yeah, yeah. And the proven if you do too much, actually move less throughout the day. You overcompensate with your eating and then you also release too much cortisol. So all of a sudden, the exercise that you've done, the, the benefits are outweighed by the negative. So it's finding that right dose, which we spoke about earlier, the 80% that you're going to get from your 20% efficiency. of Efficiency. The efficiency. Same as your diet. If you set it up early in the day, you eat the right thing at the start of the day, then you're not going to crave sugar. Then you're not going to you're not going to be hungry and snack on something you shouldn't. So it's about focusing, okay, I'm going to get up this morning, I'm going to have a good breakfast. Then I'm going to go do 10 minutes of exercise. And you know what? If you want to do more, do more. You know, if you want to go on an extreme diet after a few weeks, do it. But the best diet is the one that you stick to and the best exercise is the one you do. So it's quite interesting because what you're talking about efficiency in, in fitness and health, um, what, I mean, I reckon there's a whole program for efficiency in everything. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Even when you work. I mean, how many people do you know that, uh, you know, they can't train because yep. they, they, they get to the office, I've got to be at work at seven and I've got to finish at seven at yep. night. I think it's just fucking bullshit. Like, I mean, there's no way most people need to work twelve hours a day. Yeah. I mean, some might. You might yeah, have yeah. a particular project you've got to do, but I'll guarantee there are a lot of people who can actually sort of say, "No, I'm going to do that twelve hours. I'm going to do that in a five-hour period, yeah, yeah. or I'll do it in two lots of two and a, two hours and add another hour at the end, yeah. or something along those lines." So, what you're talking about here is efficiency in your health and yep. fitness. There should be a program actually of efficiency in everything we do. Yeah. Efficiency in how much time you spend with your family. Efficiency in you know, like at everything. Everything. Trying to be efficient with everything. Yep. I mean, I mean, it's it's with your finances, with you know how you save your money, how you spend your money, how you live your life, how you make yourself fitness, how you maintain yep. your health. What you're doing here is you're bringing this health and fitness element efficiency into everybody's lives. Well, that's what I'm trying to do, and you know, just little things like you touched upon before. You know, I hate to say it if you're a consultant out there, but they average they, the statistics have shown that most consultants actually work two hours a week. So, you know, they're out there consulting and telling people, but they're working eight-hour days. Yeah, yeah. So, you know. It's all bullshit. It's all bullshit. And same as people in offices, you know. I worked in an office for a short period of time and, God, people are good at hiding. You know, yeah. so. And people are just there checking their devices, looking on the computer, checking emails. And, you know, um, Tim Ferriss, who wrote The 4-Hour Work Week, while a lot of it he'll even admit is bullshit, the point he was trying to draw upon was the fact that we are so inefficient now with the way we utilise our time. And the one thing that I've, you know, really do is I have systems for everything. I'm a big believer in systems. You know, I've studied McDonald's and their business is built on systemization. You know, finding what systems give you the highest return. Everything's about efficiency. So a tip out there if you listen to the podcast today is I don't check my emails first thing in the morning. 
Because as soon as I get up in the morning, I've got a to-do list. I, I basically have the three things I know that are going to be the most important things to achieve that day. And I don't do anything until I achieve them a couple of things because I know they're going to give me the biggest return of my day. So I focus on the things I have to do. Then I check my emails only twice a day, in that lunch, just before lunchtime, because invariably what happens, if you get up in the morning and you check your social media or you check your Facebook or you check your, your, Twitter. your Twitter or all that, there's some dickhead on there calling you a dickhead. Or there's some, email, this morning, yeah, there's some email telling you something you don't want to know and all of a sudden it sets you on a bad note for the rest of the day and you get bogged down, your thinking gets distracted, it gets disjointed and fragmented. So I say to guys, then at night, when you come home and you walk in that door, that's it. No more phones, no more looking at the computer, no more checking emails because you know why? Be present with your family. And you know what's going to happen? Your efficiency is going to improve. All of a sudden, you're not just Cliffy Young and shuffling along every single day. You work with vigour and you work with intensity. So all of a sudden, when you rip into work, you're ripping in and you're getting stuff done. We just want to justify an eight-hour, eight-hour, week, twelve-hour. You've worked with people; they want to wear a badge that say, "I work fourteen hours oh, a day." I, I see it all the time. Annoys you? Bullshit! Shit, it's inefficient. Yeah. You know, you can get so much done, but the way to do it is have systems. So for me, the biggest system is, like I said, is putting things into blocks and not checking technology during periods because it distracts you and gets you fragmented and it's inefficient. So you can get bogged down if you start reading emails. We all know. You know, or taking phone calls, you, you have to learn how to look at someone's name that pops up on a phone. You don't know the name. You have to let it go through to the keeper and check the message afterwards because we get caught up in this inefficiency rut, which is with technology, which is the biggest cause. And just to close off here, Adam, um, Adam McDougall is, a, you know, known as a footballer. Yeah, yeah. Adam McDougall is running this great business called well, what is your business called? The Man, man, yeah, sh- man it's Shake? Called man Shake. Cranky Health. So we've got Cranky the Man Health. Shake and. Cranky you know, Health, I like that. Yeah, we've got the Man Shake but, and, you know, part of it's creating content and obviously. Yeah, a big part for me. Clear target market in mind. I feel like with man shake, cranky. It's almost well with men. Me, yeah, it's me. Well, the big thing with men was, as I said, about weight loss products. Firstly, they were high in sugar, but secondly, they wanted guys going to a chemist and weigh themselves and measure themselves and say you're fat. Here's a product. What a load of crap. So then that's the big thing for me is you know when I teamed up with Nick Fordham and that was the big thing I spoke about team. You know he's helped take our business to the next level just because of his core competencies. You know I knew I couldn't go out and do everything. Well, Nick, you know, he's got some great comments. Mate, he's passionate. And the biggest thing is, you know, the exciting thing for me, he believes in the product, he believes in what we're doing, and, you know, you can't replace that. You know, when you've got someone in your team that believes in it and believes yeah, 100%. in – 100%. 100%. You can't replace someone like that. And he's – mate, his intensity, his desire to work hard. I'm just kidding. Nick's awesome. Yeah, he's, he's been great. And, you know, <laughs> you know, like I said, you can't, you know, you can't go out there and beat the team by yourself. It's not under 640 where you just give the football to the fast kid and let him run around everyone. Yeah, yeah. You get in the NRL, mate, you, everyone's got to contribute. And, you know, that's the thing about surrounding yourself with good people as well. And Nick's been good for And him. so – just tell me one last thing, though. Just to round it off, ra- yep. round off the Adam McDougall story. Married, yep, family. Married, tell me about girl. it. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I uh, didn't want to have kids until I'd finished football. So um, I turned 40 this year and I was blessed enough to have a baby daughter born on the 2nd of January. So got in just before my 40th birthday. Well, blessed birth. to have a wife to a lady. Yeah, a life that was married someone with a head like mine. So I'm batting over. So uh, Way over, mate. Way I've seen, I met your wife. Um, she's a good sword. Yeah, I mean, you smashed them. And she's smart. Out, so... She, she always says that she's the brains of the organisation and don't think I'm tall because I stand on her shoulders. So <laughs> uh, she works uh, really hard and, and, you know, she's a great part of that team as well. And, you know, for me, I want to be a role model. I want to be around to see my daughter and walk her down the aisle one day. And, you know, I come back to this thing, you know, when my best mate died of a heart attack, he died because he was waiting for tomorrow to happen to get healthy and fit and it never happened. So I decided, you know what, I'm going to help blokes make today happen and get fit. Mate, thanks very much. Perfect. Thanks for your time today. Had a great time. Thanks, guys. No worries, mate. You outlive us all. Who won the uh, challenge two out of you two as well? <laughs> your dad wasn't even sweating. I was pretty impressed. He, he's, he's, he's just come off a 12-month boxing um, 
regime. I just come off a three-day bender. So we're talking about accountability here and lack of and excuses. I'm 59 years of age, Nicholas. <laughs> <laughs> but I hope it didn't ruin no, you. too much for Byron Bay tomorrow. <laughs> Don't worry, Matt. I'll be back. I'm not doing the man challenge. This is, I'll do another kind of challenge. Well, your arms might be a bit sore, so I might not be able to whack <laughs> You know, you'd be sweet to be able to go like that. <laughs> I'll be doing the 1,000 beers challenge. Yeah, 1,000 beers, lifting them up. Schooner, <laughs> schooner curls. Thanks, guys. Uh, it was great. Thanks, awesome. guys. Appreciate thanks, it. Thanks, Suggs. Looking forward. This is the week ahead. Okay, Nick, there's plenty of activity in the background there, but it doesn't matter. We can just talk through it. What's Give us a wrap for this week. Yeah, so, I mean, next next week we'll have we'll definitely have some stuff to talk about. But, you know, that aside, we've, we've also got the Uber pitch running on Thursday, which I just want to remind all of our listeners about. Um, if, you are, if you are a startup out there and, you, and you're worried you're not going to get a Guernsey on pitch day, definitely send me an email. Like, we, 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 you know, we do try to do our best to make sure that everyone gets uh, the chance to jump in a car. So we, we can hear you if you want to send, send us an email and try and get it. Um, get a chance to, to pitch in front of the, the the seven business leaders now. We've actually got a seventh, um, which will be a chap by the name of Creel Price, and he works for a um, he's a fairly successful entrepreneur. He, he now runs a um, incubator style of model called Investable, and they've got a social prize up for grabs. So when I say social prize, I don't mean Facebook, social media. I mean um, businesses out there that have um, more than just commercial objectives. So I mean, you know, businesses like Thank You Water, businesses like um, Anne Holland with the defibrillators, um, people that are trying to sort of do more than just um, line their pockets with money. But so it's another, add to, category, add to, another category. Add to, the, add to the greater good. And the, the social prize, If you look, if you've got a business like that, and you're successful. That prize will be given out on the Sydney leg of their of the campaign. So you don't have to wait for the conclusion of the whole Uber Pitch campaign. That'll be given out on the 29th. And if you're successful in winning that prize, you'll get the chance to go to Richard Branson's facility in South Africa, where you know it's it's basically like a big, um, big you know supercharged incubator accelerator place for those types of businesses, where they'll help you develop it and 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 get you some global reach and really help you achieve your objectives. So we're talking about social conscience type. Yeah, place, exactly. Yeah. Chari- almost with a, an element of charity to it. Yeah. Um, well, definitely with an element of charity to it. Or charitable gra- gra- yeah. Greater good stuff. You yeah, know, yeah. Be, be helping, helping people, not just helping yourself. There's a bit of what Adam McDougall was just talking about. That's sort of us trying to be achieve some balance here because this, yeah. this is not about lining our pockets or making a quid or being super successful or being – you know, the next Mark Zuckerberg, it's yep. also about, um, you know, producing those things yep. which have a good social conscience attached and to if, it. And if you just want to, and if you just want to have a go with the, with the Uber app, very simple to use. I mean, I, I might, you know, refer everyone to the Uber newsroom for more detail, but, you know, just like you order an Uber X or an Uber taxi or an Uber black, there'll be an option to, 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 to slide over to Uber pitch on the 29th. So that, cool. it's all very straightforward. Just like you order an Uber ice cream or an Uber kitten, you're going to order a a pitch on the 29th. Sweet as. All right, cool. Looking forward to that. It's Thursday the 29th? Thursday the 29th. And so we'll, the and hours, we'll do- <clears throat> you guys will be on the road from 10 a.m. till 2 p.m. Right, okay. So those are the hours of which you'll be – and there'll be seven drivers, so look, plenty of chances to get um, – you know, I'm hoping you guys at least take 10 pitches each. So, I mean, 70 lucky businesses potentially have the chance to pitch to you guys and for some great prizes. That's Sydney, and we're going to do Melbourne and Brisbane. Yeah, we haven't announced a date for Melbourne and Brisbane yet, but um, – you know, st- keep listening to the Mark Boris show and and uh, and checking the website because we'll announce the details um, shortly after we conclude the Sydney ca- leg of the campaign. And and it's going to be launched. Is it start? 
launched at Sid Start, so the biggest startup conference in the country. Um, Dad will be opening the event, reminding everybody at the conference that Uber Pitch will be happening that day. He'll also be delivering a keynote speech at 1pm, so check that one out as well. Cool. Okay, that's done. Well done, Nico. Cheers. Good one. This has been the Mark Boris Podcast. You can follow Mark on Twitter, at Mark Boris, and find out more at markboris.com.au. Thank you.